Welcome to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. We are so thankful that you are listening in. The Neighborhood Church is all about helping people find and follow Jesus. We hope that through these podcasts you are encouraged, that you're inspired, and that you're provided with practical wisdom on how to find and follow Jesus. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. Well, good evening. How is everyone? You feeling good today? Awesome. Good to hear. <laughs> this is a great time we're having. And thank you so much, uh, Pastor John and Donna, just for welcoming us uh, back to this community. Our family is so happy to be here. And uh, I'm just humbled to be able to speak tonight and to be able to talk about Easter. And this is the time of year where I think we really look at what matters most, don't we? And we really set our eyes upon all that Jesus did for us. And so I'm looking forward to getting into this. So I titled tonight's talk, The Week That Was an Easter Story. And so there's a couple ways I could have gone about this today, but I really felt just as I was studying, as I was praying, as I was seeking God, that he really wanted to challenge us to put ourselves in a story and to experience this from the perspective of other people who lived during this day. And so I'm just going to get into it. Let me ask you a question. Do you have expectations? Anyone? Anyone live with expectations? I've thrown this at you before, and I'm going to do it again under a different angle, but of course we do. We all have expectations. We all have things that usually arise normally just from a simple routine, right? Um, When you wake up in the morning, you expect to see the sunrise. It'd be unusual if there was no light at 10 a.m., wouldn't it, right? We expect that. Um, we expect a cup of coffee usually in the morning. How many of you ever missed that one, right? That could send you in a different mood. Uh, we expect to have water in our taps so that we can shower, which is such a privilege in the country that we live in. Um, around the world, that's not an expectation. That's not the case, but we expect that here. We expect people to follow the rules of the road as we commute to work, and you guys always do too, Right? And and we're never driving above the speed limit. You never cut anyone off. And certainly you don't get angry when you drive, right? There you go. I'm trusting you. We expect that spring has arrived in April here in Saskatchewan. Amen? Um, Someone amen that. Or knock on wood. Okay, I just don't want to jinx us. I don't want to get winter back. But we all have expectations. And when our expectations are met, I want to say that we're likely happy. Or at the very least... We take it for granted, to be honest. And it just feels like, okay, that was supposed to happen. Expectations met great. But when our expectations are not met, we may see another part of ourselves that isn't so happy. And that isn't so cheery, if I could say it like that. You see, if we're honest with ourselves, our expectations extend beyond inanimate objects over to our relationships, right? We have expectations of ourselves. We set goals. Um, We set standards. Parents, we have expectations of our kids, right? When bedtime comes, it is, they are going to go to bed for sure, right? And it always works that way. Um, Forgive me for lying, Lord. Uh... We have expectations of our spouses, our families. We live as people with expectations. Think about sports. Sports is a good one, right? Um, How many of us have ever lost a little sleep because perhaps our favorite team didn't quite meet expectations? Calgary Flames fans, anyone? You You kind of understand this right now, don't you? All right, sorry. Hopefully I didn't lose you guys, okay? I'm being silly. 
But expectations, we all have them. And when your expectations aren't met, it can leave you angry, can leave you upset, let down perhaps. You know, Shakespeare, I read a quote from William Shakespeare this week, and he got kind of dramatic. He said this, he said that expectations, expectation, sorry, is the root of all heartache. And I'm not sure I'm really there with him because I think expectations can be redeemed. I think they can be good, but I understand what he's saying. And I get where he's going with that. And so with that in mind, let's look at the scriptures in Luke chapter 24. If you have your Bibles and want to open them. And the two people walking on the road to Emmaus. So Luke 24, let's go there. And here's what it says. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked alongside them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And so here we have a story of two people walking down the Emmaus road after a week that seems to have left them, can I say, a little deflated. They seem to be lost. They seem to be without hope here. And they have no idea that they're walking with Jesus down this road. You see, for some reason, this has not been revealed to them in this moment. Now, as I studied over the last couple of weeks, there's all sorts of answers we can come up for that. Some say this was intentional, that God intentionally hid from them. Some say that there was just no way it could have been Jesus in their minds because no one rises from the dead, and they saw what had just happened. But either way, we're not going to get too stuck up on that. But what we're going to recognize is that they couldn't recognize him in that moment. And Jesus comes up to them and asks them, what are they talking about? And full of surprise, they say, have you not heard about these things that have happened in these last few days? Have you not heard about these things? You know, have you ever been the last person to find out about something, anyone? And, you know, maybe you got to the office late. Maybe, you know, it's just really bad, right? Like, I, I'm sure none of us woke up this past year and thought to ourselves, the USA had an election? What? Right? I, I, it probably doesn't go that far. But finding out about something at the last minute kind of makes you feel like, well, duh, everyone knows, and I don't know about it. But it's in this vein that these two kind of pose this question to Jesus. It's in that vein. Like, where have you been? Because what had happened in the past week to some, as in the Roman Empire of the time, it was completely justified and right. You see, for some people, Jesus was a troublemaker. He was making all sorts of claims. He was teaching all sorts of things that were contrary to what the religious teachers taught. He was getting into all kinds of trouble. He was breaking customs. He was breaking traditions. And in their minds, this was completely justified, what happened. But to many others in this day, it marked a moment where their hopes were crushed. Disappointment, sadness, despair had set in. You see, what had held such promise, what just a couple days ago looked so hopeful and so certain, was now faded away and put to an end. When Jesus died, there were no believers left. 
There was no hope. Andy Stanley once referred to it as the times when no one believed. Hope was crushed for the people. And for these men on the road, not knowing that they're in fact talking to Jesus himself, they ask him, are you the only one visiting here who doesn't know about what just happened? And so it's fair for us to ask the question, well, what happened? What had happened there in the last few days? Well, let's go back a week. And I want to put a particular emphasis on the fact that the past week was a time of rejoicing for the people because for many of them, they thought victory was imminent. Jesus had been healing people. Jesus had been teaching with authority. Jesus had been confounding the religious elite. And he was coming to town. And so it started with a parade of sorts. And we know this as Palm Sunday or as the triumphant entry. And people were lining the streets. They were waiting for Jesus. They were cheering on Jesus. And these people had expectations. We can't miss this. They had expectations of who Jesus was, of what he would do, of whose side he was on. Now, we never do this, do we, right? Or do we? Do we ever sometimes also put expectations on who Jesus should be and on how Jesus thinks and on whose side Jesus is on and that Jesus seems to back our ideas sometimes more than we realize, right? This is what was happening here. And maybe this is more relatable than we realize. But this, but that is actually what was happening beneath the surface on Palm Sunday. You see, the people were cheering and they were wanting a political deliverer to restore Israel back to a place of power and to crush the Romans. And they thought Jesus was going to do this for them. And so this got them excited, and they celebrated. And they thought that they had front row seats to what was going to be one of the biggest political liberations of all time. And so they waved palms. And I'm going to make a note about this. You see, there's something significant about the palm. You see, the palm was a symbol of victory in this culture. And just for some historical background for the nation of Israel and the waving of palms, it would, while they were waving palms, it would bring to mind a gentleman named Judas Maccabeus, okay? Write that down. No. It it, it took me a while to be able to figure out how to spell his last name. But it would bring to mind Judas Maccabeus, and this was a gentleman who won a political liberation for the Jewish people in years past. And to celebrate that victory, they waved palms. You see, the palm wasn't just a random plant here, but it was intentional that they waved palms for Jesus because the palm was a symbol of victory. It was almost like waving a national flag. It was their identity in victory. In fact, if you go to Israel today, and you'll see this on the screen, the one shekel coin still has a palm branch on it. And so they waved the palms, hoping that just as Judas Maccabeus had delivered them and defeated the Syrians 200 years earlier, that Jesus was going to crush the Romans and deliver them from this barbaric empire that was ruling over them at the time. And they very much saw Jesus' work in earthly terms with earthly results here, now. 
But Jesus refused to be identified by their expectations. And he communicates this even as he rides into town on a donkey. Now that's significant in this culture too. Because a donkey is actually a symbol of meekness in that culture, okay? It's a symbol of humility. If you were really going to come in and take the government by storm, you wouldn't ride into town on a donkey. You'd come in on a stallion, okay? And you'd probably have like slick back white hair. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, I just kind of picture it would kind of look like that. But he rode into town on a donkey, a symbol of meekness. And the people were hoping for a political liberation, but Jesus had other plans. And while I think the people in this time felt that what they most needed was a political freeing from the Roman Empire, a political liberation from that barbaric empire, Jesus knows it is far greater that they be liberated from the sin that is in their hearts. The sin that steals, the sin sin that destroys, the sin that kills, the sin that separates us from God. Jesus came to reconcile and to restore us and free us from the power of sin and the power of death. And so these two people encounter Jesus on the road and they ask him, well, haven't you heard about these things that have happened here recently? And in verse 19, Jesus says this. Jesus says, what things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Catch this. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. And so what started as such excitement on Palm Sunday was now a moment of disappointment. And their hopes were crushed. And this Jesus movement in the minds of everyone had ended with his death. And I'm not sure we could fully understand this today, how this would have felt in the first century to these people. You see, there were no more believers left here. They were likely thinking to themselves, you know, there was such promise and now here we are. You know, it's revealed in their words. We had hoped. We were so sure. And now they find themselves in a place where their hopes are crushed. You see, this really was a a, a time of deep mourning and sadness. The gospel writers didn't hide from this. And that's what I love so much about the gospel accounts. They didn't hide from this, but they literally documented their doubts right in the pages of scripture. And we read about them. They didn't act as though they were believers at this point. They documented their doubts. N.T. Wright says it like this. He says, They hoped that Israel would be liberated once and for all from pagan domination, free to serve God in peace and holiness. That's why the crucifixion was so devastating. It wasn't just that Jesus had been the bearer of their hopes and he was now dead and gone. It was sharper than that. If Jesus had been the one to redeem Israel, 
he should have been defeating the pagans, not dying at their hands. And so you can imagine what state they were left in at this point. And the cross was a painful event for those who were close to and who believed in Jesus. But church, I got good news today. This is our Easter service, right? <laughs> I got good news. The story had not ended, okay? Things are about to change because then something happened. When Jesus does what we didn't even think was possible, you see, at the start of our portion in Luke 24, we read, Pastor John read earlier, that, and Pastor Yasmin, that the woman went to the tomb. But our general human experience is that when people are dead, they generally stay dead. That's it. We don't question this. It usually brings grieving. It usually brings mourning. But this story talks about the one who has not remained in the tomb, but in fact, he has risen. He is not here. N.T. Wright, I'm going to quote him again because he's smarter than me. And he says this. He says, without the resurrection, even the story of Jesus is a tragedy. Certainly, in first century Jewish terms, as the two on the road to Emmaus knew very well. But with the resurrection, there is a new way of telling the entire story. The resurrection isn't just a surprise, happy ending for one person. It is instead the turning point for everything else. And so, yes, church, the resurrection does promise everlasting life. Can I get an amen? It does promise everlasting life, but it is, the also, it is also the beginning of something new right here, right now. You see, the big story of Scripture isn't just that someday we abandon this place called Earth, but the big story in Scripture is that God has not abandoned this place. And something new had begun to renew and redeem and reconcile this world. And so resurrection has implications not only for our future, but it very much has implications for how we live today. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is the affirmation of God's love for humanity. Resurrection affirms the switching of empires. You see, the empire that put Jesus to death was an empire of power by force, by anger, by greed, by evil. But Jesus, in fact, establishes something new, a kingdom that's not going to be known by these things, but will be known by hope, peace, faith, joy, and love. And so resurrection definitely has implications for after we leave this earth. But we must not miss the fact that the resurrection also has implications for how you and I live today. And resurrection declares that Christ cares about all of us. That this world matters to him. Amen? What we think and feel matters. What we do with our time matters. What we create matters. Who we help serve and love, it all matters to Jesus. What we believe and share with others, it matters. Because resurrection brings hope for tomorrow, but it also gives us hope for today. And so we need to stop, I think, sometimes and ask ourselves the question, are you giving your life to the kinds of things that endure and go on in the new world that God is restoring and redeeming? 
Are we giving our lives to the kinds of things that endure and go on? You see, in 1 Peter chapter 1, I love how it says this. It says, praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And I just love that term, new birth. Out of all images that the early church could have used, the early church tapped into the image of birth. Because when some, something new is born, there are fresh new possibilities. Something new has begun. Things are no longer the same, but they have changed. Birth takes us to what hasn't been seen, and it shows us something that is going to be revealed. And so tomorrow no longer has to be a repeat of today or yesterday, but there can be disruption, and things can go in a new direction. Resurrection is ascribed to us as new birth into a living hope in 1 Peter, a hope that's not dead, but a hope that's alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And new birth was one of the ways in which the early church described what Jesus did for us. And so we can be hopeful that because Jesus rose from the dead, all sorts of new possibilities have been opened up. Tomorrow does not have to be just like today or yesterday, but it can be different. Amen? There are new possibilities. And maybe you're here today, and you it's about the past. And maybe you've, you've carried these. Maybe you've held on to these things. Maybe these things have lingered in your life. And you have bought into the deception. You've bought into the lie that these things will always sort of follow you around, kind of like a black balloon on a string. But the scripture suggests to us today that this is just not true because of resurrection, because of new birth. And so we believe in new births. We believe that things can die and that things, other things can be reborn. Amen? I believe that we can leave behind certain feelings, shame, things of the past, and that we can step into a new tomorrow. Watchman Nee said this. He said, our old history ends with the cross, but our new history begins with the resurrection. And that makes sense on so many levels, right? Because that old history of yours was nailed to the cross. And we talked about that on Good Friday. But our new history, these new possibilities that we're talking about, this new hope begins with resurrection. And the cross and resurrection speak of a debt that was paid, one that we can never pay on our own. It reminds me of a parable where Jesus talks about a ruler who forgives an unpayable debt that a servant had so that he and his family can go free and live free, while the cross and resurrection speak of a debt that we also could never cover. A debt so big, a, a, a debt that can cause us great stress and shame and fear, the drowning of sin. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we no longer have to pay for such things. But the price has been paid. Amen? Our sins are forgiven. And our future is renewed with new things on the horizon, thanks be to God. And so back to expectations, because 
in the times of Holy Week, these people had expectations. They had opinions. They had preferences. They had opinions on lots of things. They thought, surely Jesus is going to deliver us from the evil Romans. Jesus could never be nailed to a cross. That was something that, that would probably have happened in their minds. People cannot rise from the dead. It just isn't possible. This is something they would have thought and believed. But time and time again, Jesus defies our expectations. And he does not submit to them or become obedient to them. <laughs> but he does what only he can do. And that, friends, is more than we can ever ask or imagine. And the whole story of Easter is about the Savior. The Savior of not just us, but of this whole world reaching out to this world. And he's risen. He's alive. He is present with us here today by the Holy Spirit. He's given us a new way. He's invited us to be a part of a new kingdom. We've experienced new birth in him. And because of that neighborhood church family, we live in the hope of a better tomorrow, don't we? We live in that hope today because Jesus loved this world so much that whoever shall believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How many of you know that's good news for us today? And Jesus does not submit to our expectations or our will because he has something so much greater in mind, something so much greater in store. You see, we can trust that he knows better than we do. You see, the cross was something that we had to see, but resurrection is something to be experienced, and the Bible calls it new birth. And so Jesus is talking with these men on the road, and we're going to finish with this. And he's explaining the scriptures to them. And he's going in depth, showing how everything in that Old Testament pointed towards this time. And they just missed it. And they invite him, stay the night, this is so good. And so he goes into a home with them. And as they're seated at the table, he breaks bread. And it's then that they recognize that it was Jesus with them the whole time. And then he vanishes. You know, I really need to see the video of this someday, right? And he vanishes from them. But they recognize that this is Jesus who has been with them this whole time on that road of crush hopes. He wasn't far. Let's read the last part of the verse. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight, and they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, and there they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together, saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. You see, here's what I think the take-home for us is today. I think many of us find ourselves on a road of sorts today. And for some of us, we may find ourselves on a road that's just rejoicing. And it's full of joy. And amen to that, right? And, and, and that's, that's a road that I think a lot of us love to be on. But for some of us, it's been difficult. For others of us, the road we've been on, it's been tough lately. You feel like you look for God and you can't see him. For others, this time of COVID, let's just call it what it is, right? It's just wearing on us. And we're so done with it. And we're trying to see God in the midst of this confusion, in the midst of this loneliness, in the midst of this isolation. Here's one thing I know and I'm confident in today, church. He's not far from us.
He is not far from us. And he meets us on the roads of life. And we can be sure that he loves us and that he reaches out to us. And sometimes we might not even recognize it, but he's right there in front of us for those who follow him. Although the two on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize Jesus that day, one thing we do know is that Jesus recognized them. And in this dark world where it can be difficult for us to recognize the things that matter most, even failing to recognize Jesus sometimes, he sees us and meets us on whatever road we find ourselves on. And whatever the situation, and whatever the problems, and whatever the hurts, and he offers us a new hope, a new vision of light, one that not even this dark world can overcome or take from us. And this is the message of Easter for us today, that perhaps you've struggled before with seeing Jesus, and even if that's the case, know that he sees you, and he comes to you, and he reaches out to tell you that he loves you, and that there's so much more, and he has really just been the one we've been looking for this whole time. He's really who we've been searching for all along. And because of his resurrection, church, every road we walk down has opportunities. Every encounter we have with other people has purpose. Everything that we do now has new meaning. Are we giving ourselves to the things that endure and go on in this kingdom that God has established? And so keep your hearts, keep your eyes open. Because the two people walking that road that day could have been you and me. And while we may not always recognize him every time, we can be assured that Jesus desires to meet with us, to fellowship with us, to speak to us, to speak to us through his word, to give us understanding, to understand him better. On the road of life, we can be assured that we are not alone, for he is with us. Amen? He is with us. Worship team, I'm going to call you up. A couple ways that we could just apply this today. Maybe today you would say to me, either in this room or online, watching our live stream, that you've never accepted the hope that Jesus offers you. That you've never asked him to be Lord of your life and begin to follow him. But you're recognizing that the hope that he's given is the hope you need today. And I just invite you, if that's you, I just invite you to pray with me right now. In fact, I invite everyone in the room to pray this with me right now. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I know that I've done wrong by living without you. I'm sorry, and I trust that you'll forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Lord. Help me believe in you and love you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer in here today, you need to tell somebody. <laughs> I want to hear about it. One of the pastors would love to hear about it. If you prayed that prayer online, let us know. Fill out one of the connect cards on the website. We would love to just rejoice with you in this, help you on your next step, and just, yeah, we'd be so excited just to chat with you about it. But to the church and for those who know him today, 
I say this, we can rejoice today, amen? We can rejoice. Tomorrow does not have to be like today, but it can be different. And there is a new creation bursting forth right here in the midst of this one. For the first Christians, resurrection was new creation. Resurrection was new birth. Resurrection was a new freedom from guilt and shame, from that voice in your head that sometimes tells you that you're not good enough. You see, that you haven't done enough or that you're not moral enough. The cross and resurrection have canceled that debt and said that you are loved exactly how you are. Death could not hold him down. Resurrection is victory. And so with the resurrection of Christ in view, we look at the things that try to bring us down. We look at the things that try to enslave us. The doubts and the shames that sometimes, the shame that sometimes tries to control us. And we're reminded of our new birth. We're reminded of our new identity. And we say a victorious, wait a minute, he is not here. He is risen, amen? And I fear sometimes it's easy for us to become too familiar with Easter. Almost like it's something that we've heard so many times that we just can't fully, fully, you know, experience it anew. But the real truth here, and what we're celebrating tonight, is that Jesus has won. Victory is in him. And this affects not just us today, but it affects us every day. And so I'm gonna ask everyone to stand. And we're going to worship tonight, we're going to rejoice, we're going to praise him, we're going to respond to him in whatever way he's spoken to you. But I want you to say something with me tonight, okay? I'm going to set it up, and then I'm going to point to the screens, and I want you to say it out loud. I want an audible response. I want you to raise your voice if you feel like doing that. Feel free to yell. I'm not going to get offended, okay? But I just want to declare this tonight and today, right? That resurrection, new creation, and hope and new possibilities are found in these words. He is not here. Amen. God bless you. He is risen indeed. Let's worship him tonight. Pastor Ethan, would you lead us? We are so thankful that you've listened in to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you. Go to the podcast description and follow the link to get in touch with us. Everything we do would not be possible without your generosity. If you would like to give, check out that same link in the podcast description. If you have enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.